thread that runs through almost all of our interviews here on The Chiefs is that the most successful business owners know how to use their geography to their advantage. On today's episode, we take a closer look at one Swiss institution whose vital symbiotic relationship with the city of Zurich forms the key to its success. Woven deeply into Zurich's fabric, ETH, or ETH, holds an impressive graduate employment rate of 99% one year after students graduate. It also has strong links with many of the leading multinationals found in the city and across Switzerland. And though it's not quite the household name granted to other institutions of its caliber, like Oxford or MIT, ETH ranks consistently as one of the top 10 universities worldwide. To explain why this low-profile but high-performing institute prefers to keep things this way is ETH's director, Professor Joël Messo. A former student and longtime professor at ETH, Dr. Messo took over the role as chair at the start of 2019 and, as you might imagine, has had a number of challenges to juggle on top of his pre-existing goals for the development of the institution. On a snowy January morning, Dr. Messo joined me at our studios here in Zurich to talk about the future of learning, the Institute's commitment to technical excellence, and why ETH's infamous startup program, The Spin-Offs, has had a record year. This is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. I'm Tyler Brule. Mr. Mezzo, I want to start, and maybe we rewind two years, and your arrival at, at ETH. Tell us a little bit about the institution that you arrived at, its perception domestically within Switzerland, which is one thing, but also internationally as well. So maybe just to clarify, I have been professor at ETH since quite a while, so I know the organization very well. But of course, when you take the lead of such a, an amazing institution, what struck me most is how easy it is to get doors open. What I needed to do before to reach certain people uh, was months of work. Here I can get anybody within a few days. And that's everything because of the reputation of this, uh, of this school. That makes life much more easy. On the other side, the expectations from all owners of ETH, and everyone is an owner of ETH, are immense. So we have to deliver as well. If we look at the, the global conversation, and it's a global conversation at, at this time, which often has to happen remotely, we've, we've seen the, the demobilization, of course, of, of live events for all of the, the obvious reasons. Why are people coming to ETH? When they come to speak to you, what, what are those conversations? Why are people coming to you? I think in first place, they are coming uh, for talents. They know the kind of education we are offering. Uh, just to give you a number, 99% of our students find a job within a year. So the education level we are bringing is uh, is extremely high, and this is a lot of value for societies. This is one reason why certain companies decided to settle in, in Zurich. Then, of course, there is all the technological aspect uh, that they would like to benefit from. And so uh, we enter into collaboration. Just to make it clear, we never do uh, exclusive contracts. So really, everyone has a chance to benefit from what, uh, what we do. And then there is the desire to give something back to Switzerland or maybe to ETH. Let's come back to the Zurich component in a moment, but also I want to come back to this element of, of also giving back um, a little bit later in the interview. But if we if we stick with your arrival uh, two years ago, was it clear to you, of course, having uh, a background in the business that uh, and, and being part of this, the school before of, of some things that 
you wanted to get your hands on that you thought are the reputational issues? Uh, was it was it more funding? Uh, what sort of stood out for you that you thought, okay, great institution, but here's where there's some necessary work to be done? We are excellent in many aspects, but there are things that we need to improve. One is, for example, the collaboration with big companies is working extremely well. But with the SMEs, we have less contacts. I don't say no contacts. It's still 50% of the uh, industrial contacts we have. Each year, 1,000 new contracts, so it's not negligible. But there, there is a hurdle for the SMEs to contact ETH. So we need to change the way we are approaching issues. You see, we communicate very much on our nature science articles. What we forget to communicate is that in order to realize this kind of research, you need to develop technologies. Let's take an example, a sensor, an algorithm that could be useful to industry for completely different topics. And this we don't do enough at the moment. So this is one part. The other part is, you know, the social pressure on every institution is increasing the expectations from parliament, from uh, our students, and also on the energy sector, for example, to be CO2 neutrals and so on. The number of women professors that uh, we need to hire, here we, we have a backlog and we need to address this issue. So we are doing all this. We have launched a big program called Rethink, R-E-T-H Inc., Rethink. And uh, the idea is uh, to have a bottom-up process and top-down decisions, of course, to position ETH for the next 20 years. Then there were a few research topics where I thought here we should enter. Uh, we were doing a little bit, but uh, not enough. For example, how to combine technology and art. So we uh, have some initiatives in that field. And the other one that's really very important to me is uh, how can we help uh, diplomacy to be more efficient? Uh, think about the multilateral organizations like World Trade Organization, like uh, WHO Health Organization in the pandemic time. They have no role. So there is an issue here. And how can we help by binding more the technology, the science, and the diplomats. And for this, I'm part of one big initiative called JESTA, Geneva Science and Diplomacy Anticipator, and we try to move along this line. On the point of multilateralism, when we were first setting up in Zurich, we were even getting these mics up and running. I was surprised uh, to find that there is a school for strategic studies, uh, because oftentimes people think in an engineering context, when they think of ETH, they think of architects, uh, but they're not thinking about people who are diplomats, uh, who are thinking about conflict uh, resolution. As you said, this is obviously an area that you're putting some emphasis on. So uh, there's two parts to it. <laughs> why is it there? And also, why do you, you think that you have a spot or a place in this world of multilateralism? So why is it there? It was a vision of my predecessors and uh, two smaller departments were created uh, decades ago on more on social aspects and uh, the other one on economical aspects, but always related to technology. So that's the edge. There is a niche for ETH to work here because this is not done by other more traditional universities. Think about now this assessment of technologies for environment. This is something we do since decades. And this is now paying off because we see how important this is. Uh, on the social part or the diplomatic part, we have a few exceptional persons. I don't want to mention 
everyone. I don't want to forget every, anyone, but just one example in, for time reasons. So Mikhail Ambul, who was, uh, studied mathematics at ETH, uh, was the, the chief diplomat in Switzerland, made all the bilateral agreements with EU, and then also put in mathematical form a conflict that was used for negotiations when Switzerland was moderating conflicts. And when he came back to ETH, he launched these lectures on this topic. Having seen that, I thought we have to make a bigger effort in that direction. We had too little connections to the international Geneva. And so now this is established and you will hear this year some announcements in that direction. I guess the other part uh, I come back to is you know, when you arrived at this job, there's, there seems to be a lot of good secrets, positive secrets uh, at ETH. And so you know, the School of Strategic Studies is one of them, because I think you could talk to many people around the world and they wouldn't think, oh, if I need someone to comment on Belarus right now, is ETH the first place I'm going to call? But yet, of course, you've, you've actually got someone who's incredibly seasoned at your school on that topic of, of, of Belarus. Is, is also part of it as well, as you look to the next 20 years, uh, how do you also bring some of these other gems to, to the forefront? Uh, because there must be a lot of tension, of course, which is a good thing. Uh, you need that uh, department sort of fighting hard. But but sometimes it feels that also some things are, are hidden as well in this great organization. So just to make it clear, yes, we have an issue with, you know, making ETH and what we do better known to the public. But for the specialists, the experts in these fields, we are known. And you just mentioned a few examples. I don't want to go into the details, but we are asked for this kind of, uh, you know, resolution of conflicts. And uh, it is valid for all the fields of, of ETH in the science, in the university context, at the federal levels. Here we are well known. Where we maybe could make an additional effort is internationally to the broader public. ETH is not the first university you mention when you ask what is, you know, MIT, Oxford, Cambridge. And here we have a deficit. I have an explanation. But before I want to mention it, let's tell. We'll tell you're going to tell us though, right? You do have your explanation. Maybe the anecdote first. Okay. okay. <laughs> so at the WEF, a minister wanted to talk to me. So Swiss minister? No, a foreign minister. Okay. Sent by our Swiss minister, foreign affair, uh, Mr. Cassis. So he comes, and so I present myself. I say I'm the president of ETH. Uh, I don't know this university, so you can imagine. Oh, what a disappointment! <laughs> I said, but my son wants to study at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And then I explained, this is the same. And this is part of our problem. ETH, ETH in German, École Polytechnique Fédérale in French, and Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. Depending on the people, they will use different words to speak about ETH. So it's creating only confusion. MIT is MIT. Oxford is Oxford. And uh, how to change this, it's a big challenge. Now I look at this a little bit with distance and I'm quite relaxed because at the end, what counts? Is it to be known in every corner of the world or is it to attract the best scientists and the best talents of the world? And here we are doing very well. Depending on what rankings you look at, uh, and of course, we know there are many, uh, that of course, ETH can appear in, in the top 10 globally. It can be further down the, the list, uh, but certainly on the continent, uh, very frequently, you are the one standout institution. So again, if we look across the next two decades, what do you feel needs to, to be done? And you 
don't need to give away too many state secrets. Um, but what do you see as, as the necessaries? And you, you obviously you highlighted some things coming into it. But now that you've been two years into, into this post, what, what seems critical for you? We have to play first on our strengths. And our strength is not only ETH, but I think one strength is the entire Swiss system. People are sometimes surprised when I'm mentioning that it's not only the higher education that is excellent in Switzerland. This is also the vocational education. I've been working, you mentioned, in US, but also worked in France where vocational education is just gone. So we have to play this card. And I developed some ideas how to increase that. This I won't tell you because it's still in the making. But I think if we can use, increase the synergy between vocational education and university education, that will be a big, big winner. The other part, when I talk to CEOs of companies, they tell me, you know, your students that you are educating, they are technically excellent. So to a point, and that was a CEO of one of the big Swiss companies where we don't check anymore because we know they are good, those who finish. You know, we have a very strong selection after the first and second year, but maybe on the social competence, there is something missing where you can do better. So you mean in terms of presentation, in terms of human interaction, exactly. selling your idea? Exactly. Selling is one thing, but, but on the other side, also the human interactions. More and more, we are working in group to solve problems because the problems are becoming very complex. We need to move very fast. So we have set some programs for our students where they have to, like a small company, to make a product. And this from first year. It starts with programs from a few weeks, and now it's extended all the way to uh, several months. For example, the, the students have to build a small quantum computer in the first years, you know, and there is a team of five to 10 people. One has to lead, the other one has to take this part and they need to collaborate to make it work. If we can offer this, this is again something that very few universities can offer. The word Switzerland has come up now a few times in this interview, Zurich as well. Let's go back to the point about the relationship of place, the importance and, and really the, the symbiotic relationship between Zurich and ETH as economic engine, the quality of life. I mean, it's very interesting because here you have, of course, one of the world's most respected architecture schools. And it's interesting to see how many outputs, of course, from that school hit street life in the city. So I'm curious, uh, so we can address it on, on the federal level. And, and of course, let's say we, we think about, uh, yes, that there's Monsieur Pomelin, the current uh, president of the federal council. He understands the, the importance of the, the vocational relationship. But also when you speak to the canton and the city, do they also understand what kind of engine you are in terms of talent attraction, but also talent retention. Of course, there's an understanding, but I'm wondering how this gets fostered because it's fascinating when you look at, at the relationship between the two, Zurich ETH and vice versa. This is a fascinating topic. I'm passionate about that. And actually, we need to go back to the creation of ETH to understand really what is our DNA. ETH was created a few years after a war we had in Switzerland between it was a religious war, the Sonderbund, and then the creation of the new constitution. And there was a discussion to have a federal university. And then finally, it was decided to have one on technical grounds in Zurich. And the idea was to create a school that, you know, Switzerland was, it's amazing, but was a very poor country at that time. And so to modernize the country to electrify the country, to build the railways, to build the tunnels. 
And we needed engineers for that. We had a very clear mission. And the mission is not to perform the best science. The mission is to support our society, our nation. And that has remained throughout the years. And of course, the region of Zurich has benefited very much of this. I mean, I call it the Great Zurich Area. And look at what has changed in Zurich in the past 20 years. The city is completely different than what it was. I'm very excited about Zurich. It's a beautiful city. It has the centers of some of the biggest tech companies. Google came here, is employing more than 4,000 computer scientists, but uh, it started with IBM more than 50 years ago. Now Microsoft has a center here. Disney has the only research lab outside of U.S. in Zurich. So Zurich has become a very, very interesting city. Also in terms of startups, I was just looking at the numbers yesterday. 20 years ago, the investment, the total investment for startups in Switzerland was around a few hundred millions. Now we are, 20 years later, at more than two billions. And interestingly, 70% of these investments in startups, so venture capital, goes around two hubs in Switzerland, one around Lausanne and one around Zurich. And it's maybe not you know, a coincidence that we have the two ETHs, EPFL and ETH Zurich, at these two locations. Just for the last two years, a billion has been invested in uh, ETH startups. And Something that is really amazing me, 34 startups have been created in COVID year in 2020. We didn't expect that. I was expecting a low and we have a record high. And for someone who is maybe not following the ETH or or certainly the Swiss startup scene, maybe educate the listeners. And again, you don't want to leave anyone out, but if you think about some real stars that have emerged, and, and it is incredible to look at you know, what has happened with some of these obviously incredible ideas, but how quickly they've also bubbled up to become consumer brands, to, to, be, to be flying, to be doing all kinds of things. So what stands out in your mind at the moment in terms of uh, some startups that you're particularly proud of? I'm proud of every startup. Yes, okay. I know you need to be the diplomat. I get that. But, but. but uh, yeah, maybe um, looking a little bit back, something that is not so well known, two Nobel Prize winners, Richard Ernst and Kurt Wüttrich, developed technologies based on MRI. It all started 70 years ago with some crazy ideas to look at the inner part of atoms to understand the inner structure of an atom. So you apply a magnetic field, you do some physics experiment, you get information. And they realized by slightly modifying the procedure, you can make imaging with these technologies. And now in every hospital, you have MRI technologies. I'm sure you have been through that. I've been through that. This is a, a spin-off of ETH. And I'd like to show this example for several reasons. Why? First, the time that is needed to achieve you know, the fundamental research all the way to a product. We are talking 50, 60 years. It's difficult to understand, but that's sometimes the time you need. Second, Nobel Prize winners are very, very useful to get the product out. You know, it's not only abstract. More recently, maybe something that really is fascinating is the development around in the energy sector. So, you know, if you go all the way to photovoltaic electricity production only through photovoltaic and wind turbine, you never get the electricity at the time you need it. So you need to store this energy somehow. And now you can do it in a chemical way, either through hydrogen 
or through methane. And the way you need to produce these chemicals, so you need to use this energy that produced by photovoltaic or turbines and then transform it into a chemical that you can then reuse to produce electricity at any time you want. And here there have been fantastic development. One company is called Sinelion, for example, that just raised a huge amount of venture capital to develop their product. Another example uh, that was very recent in the medical sector, you know, when uh, liver is a very difficult organ, if you want to regenerate the liver, uh, you have to take it out of the body, apply some manipulations. And uh, the current state is that you have a few hours to do that. And now with new technologies from ETH, but not only from ETH, from University Hospital of Zurich and University of Zurich, uh, we extended that to several days. And the last example that I want to mention is a secure internet protocol that was developed by our best scientists. You mentioned our rankings. What is not so well known is that in informatics, computer science, we are in the first three worldwide, whatever ranking. You know, the guys who made the COVID, Swiss COVID app, those are the same person. And uh, we were able in that case to convince Google and Apple to modify their operating system to implement the the new protocol that is now used uh, everywhere. So that was quite a performance. And we have now the same people who have developed a secure internet that allows to send information from A to B without, you know, risk of being deviated to some unknown places. And this is a very exciting development. The Swiss National Bank is already using this protocol for transactions with other banks. It could become the next standard for the internet. Of course, uh, this is frequently a program about not just leadership, but entrepreneurship, the business model. And I want to come back to funding. If we had to to look at a pie, and I don't think this can be a state secret, how much are you relying on, on the state? And I say the state, Canton City, federal versus, of course, yeah, obviously the, the student body paying primarily, I guess, international for, for higher rates. And then obviously then, then donors and I guess alumni as much as, of course, corporate and again, how do you sustain that as well? Because you said problem solving becomes more complex, there's more competition. Uh, but what, what, is that, what does that pie look like? So this is a very important part. We are in a very good situation. We have about 75% of our funding coming from the state, federal state. We are not subventioned by the cantons. And that gives us a very strong basis that we can use to perform research that is long-term, and that is what we need for a country like Switzerland in order to keep an edge against the competitors. So we are fighting that this remains so, and the other 25% is then coming from various sources, also state but competitive Swiss National Science Foundation, EU. You know that we have record numbers of ERC grants. For those who don't know what it is, this is uh, like the Champions League's uh, grants for research. So Switzerland is, unlike soccer, we are playing in the Champions Leagues in research. And then the last part, and it's about half and half of this 25% is from uh, industry collaboration and donations. And here, just looking at the numbers in Europe, we are number one, including UK. And uh, of course, the countries where it's way above us, this is in US, where you have uh, an order of magnitude more donations than what we have. But we are making progress. You raised the point about student fees. And it's important to say, uh, studying at ETH is 
very, very cheap. Even if I'm coming from China or No difference. This is something that has to be approved by the parliament. And at the moment, we treat all students alike. So they pay, I think it's 1,500 Swiss francs per year. If you look at the ranking versus per cost for the students, probably we are unbeatable. Now, there is a downside is that living in Switzerland is quite expensive. But if you put it all together, it's very cheap to study at ETH. And the last thing I, that is important to me, people don't always realize the level of education in Switzerland is very, very high. 50% of our university students are studying in one of the top 100 universities. I think there is no other country in this situation. On that, uh, as you said, costs are high. Obviously, tuition fees are extraordinarily low um, at the same time. What do you need to do? And, and is there a competitive aspect in terms of also the physical environment? Could you tell me a little bit about the building program? Uh, really, when we think about a school known for architecture, what's happening? What is on the horizon in terms of the development? Why am I going to feel good about also coming to this school every day as well? We have great facilities at Zurich to study and to do research. Now, what we are looking at, of course, we, you know, we have a 6% this year increase of students. And maybe that's important to say also we have no filter because we have no entry exams. So the filter is at the first and the second year. That's a tough one. So we offer great auditorium and we offer also great research facilities we have invested a lot in equipment and so in buildings. Now we are watching for the next year how we will proceed because being so dependent on federal funding and seeing the aftermath of uh, COVID, I'm a bit, let's say, nervous about what will be the financial consequences. So at the moment, we are watching all these points, but the starting conditions are really excellent. We have invested a lot in our buildings in the past years in various places of the cities and even abroad. We have 250 researchers in Singapore. Singapore is our only external outside of Switzerland hub. And this is our place where we observe what's happening in Asia. That was one of the best moves my predecessors have made to go there. I'm really excited. You mentioned cities. So one of the programs is called Future City Lab where we pair what we do in Zurich with our architects and what we observe in Singapore, uh, because it's, Singapore is like, you know, what might happen in Europe in the next 10 to 20 years. Just before we go, I'm going to make you look over the horizon for one moment. And of course, you brought up, of course, the, the topic that confronts all of us, which of course is the ongoing discussion. and It touches education all over the world being present, or of course, uh, remote learning. And does ETH have a, a house view on this? The sense of place still, will it still matter or less? Sure, it will matter. But we have a discussion on this because we realized that maybe the form of teaching that we had might be adapted. So as you said, we went within two days completely online and we managed that from 1,200 courses, only 10 didn't work out for various reasons, which is a good good results. We had, uh, interestingly, we had a questionnaire to the students. 98% of the students were either happy or very happy with the way we dealt with this situation. And so now we are conducting an analysis of what can we learn from this period, from this crisis, not only on this, also homeworking, also collaborations, 
this was an amazing time where suddenly everyone, all researchers, administrative staff, technical staff, just forgot about what they were doing all years and concentrated on solving the main issues together. Can we build on this? I'm sure we can. Don't waste a good crisis, huh, you know. And so we are conducting now this reflection within this uh, Rethink program uh, initiative that I just mentioned before. My thanks to Dr. Joel Messo for joining me on this week's edition of The Chiefs. As 2021 unfolds, The Chiefs will be getting industry-specific. So join us in March, where we'll meet leaders in the fields of hospitality and travel and much more. This episode of The Chiefs was produced and researched by Paige Reynolds and edited by Steph Chungu and here in Zurich, Desiree Bentley. I'm Tyler Brule. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>